How many here know the name Miss Alice Brackett? Well, Miss Brackett was my third grade teacher. So I'm going to take you back many years, back to a small school, public school in Nebraska. Miss Brackett had her class memorize scripture. And one of the first scriptures I ever memorized was the 23rd Psalm. And the story's told of a third grade teacher doing precisely that. She had little Johnny in her class, and little Johnny wasn't exactly focused, kind of mischievous. And it came time for Johnny to stand up and say the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. That's all you need to know. <laughs> we don't equate Johnny with great spiritual insight. But if we left this morning really understanding those five words, our lives would be different. In studying the 23rd Psalm, I learned some interesting things. God has made a metaphor out of the shepherd and the sheep. Jesus is the shepherd and we are the sheep. And in the 22nd Psalm, he talks about the good shepherd, the shepherd that lays down his life for his flock, past tense. In the 23rd Psalm, he talks about the great shepherd who leads us, present tense. And in the 24th Psalm, he talks about the chief shepherd who is coming again, past, present, future shepherds. When God inspired David to write the Psalms, the 23rd Psalm came out and probably is the most popular Psalm ever quoted. And maybe one of the most quoted scriptures of all time. Every funeral you go to seems like the 23rd Psalm is mentioned, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this morning as we unpack the 23rd Psalm, remembering that Christ is our shepherd and we are his sheep. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Psalms 23. And the message is so simple and so clear. Help it to penetrate our heart that when we leave this morning, we will never be the same. Amen. Those first five words, each word in of itself could be a sermon. The Lord. Not a Lord, not one Lord, not one of many. The Lord, capital letters, L-O-R-D, the King of Kings, the pre-existent one who spoke and this cosmos came into existence. Jehovah, the I Am of the Old Testament. The Lord is, present tense right now. He's leading us right this minute. The Lord is my. I do not grasp this at all. That the, the Lord cares about you. And he cares about me, and he knows 
How many hairs on my head? How many cattle are in the hills? I just don't get it. But he says, he is my and shepherd. Again, the metaphor for Christ is shepherd. The shepherd goes out before the flock goes out in the morning to make sure that the ground that they'll be grazing on is safe. There's no predators around. There's no noxious plants. There's good, clean, safe water to drink. The shepherd is there before. He's in there during the day monitoring the sheep, and he's there at night. The Lord is my shepherd. It's said that uh, Albert Einstein, probably one of the world's greatest scientific minds of all time, certainly in regards to physics and the speed of light, said on his deathbed, he said, is the universe friendly? And had someone at his bedside just knew the first five words of Psalms 23, he had answered his question, the Lord is my shepherd. There is a shepherd out there. And he cares about us. And it says, I shall not want. We all have wants. We have wants and needs and desires. And we read the paper and we see things advertised and the TV. And we want that stuff. And the shepherd says, follow me and I will provide your needs. First John says, do not love the world or the Things in the world. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, they're not from God, they're from the world. And we get wrapped up and caught up in that. Like we want that stuff and we get our eyes off the shepherd onto the things of the world. He says, Don't do that, I will provide your needs. And then it says, I make you lie down or I'll let you lie down in green pastures. Growing up in the Midwest, I used to think these pastures were eight, ten inches thick grass, alfalfa, just luscious. And if the sheep lie down, you might not even be able to see them. And the fields in the, where David is leading his flock are barren and rocky, hilly, little tufts of grass here and there. So the concept of laying down in green pastures is not what I had envisioned. Philip Keller wrote a book. He was a shepherd. And he, the shepherd, uh, a, the title of it is A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. And he says, the flock will not lie down unless four things are met. Again, as we talk about this, put yourself in the position of the sheep. We're not going to be content unless four things are met. The first one is, is the sheep have to be free of frustrations. How easily are we distracted? The frustrations for, for sheep are flies and gnats and uh, noxious plants that cause the sheep to itch and scratch. And What is it that bugs us? The shepherd goes before and makes sure that's all okay for the sheep. And the sheep won't lie down if there's friction. We come to church and we begin to compare ourselves to one another. Man, look at Bob. Jesus. I wish I had his spiritual gifts. I wish I had his. I wish I 
had her, and I'm glad, and instead of comparing ourselves to Christ. And sheep are the same way. They've got kind of a pecking order. And the sheep won't lie down because they're afraid to lose their position till the shepherd is there and it kind of calms the waters. The sheep won't lie down if they're hungry. So the shepherd has to go out beforehand and make sure that the fields that they're going to graze in that day have adequate food and good clean water. What are we feeding on day after day? The shepherd makes it clear. And they won't lie down if they're afraid. What are your fears today? What are my fears today? Sheep is the only mammal that we know of that really can't defend itself. Can't run, it's not fast. Can't kick. Has no teeth in its upper jaw, can't bite. All they can do is sense danger. They've got good ears and they've got good smell. They can't see very well, but they can sense when danger is around and they won't lie down. So the shepherd has to take care of all of those needs before the flock lays. The shepherd is never happier than when his flock is at peace. Then it says, it leads me or leads the sheep to still waters. The sheep won't drink if the water just isn't clean and silent. If it's moving, if it's a moving stream, the, the sheep won't go out and, and drink. So he's got to find the right place for the water. And the question is leading. And the sheep sometimes don't follow the shepherd. Sound familiar? You know, there's the path, but I know a shortcut. It's over this direction. So we begin to deviate and depart from the shepherd's voice. And then we end up at a place and go, geez, I don't know what happened. And it's pretty clear the direction that we take determines our destination. And if we're truthful ourselves, we can back up and say, you know, I kind of veered off a little bit here or there. And so that begs the question, how do we know the voice that we're hearing is from God? We've got some pretty clear guidelines of that. If it flies in the face of Scripture, it's not from God. You know, we've got the little white angel on this shoulder, and we've got the little red devil on this shoulder, and they talk into our ears if we're willing to admit that. If there's more than two voices, I'd suggest a call to the hospital. But usually there's two voices. And this voice, if it says, you know, it flies in the face of Scripture, it's not from God. It'll be very clear usually. Voice from God isn't confusing. He's not a God of confusion. It generally requires action. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a letter. Maybe it's a visit. Maybe it's just waiting on God. That may be one of the toughest actions of all. And the word from God will be positive. Giles, uh, a couple of weeks ago, shared in his sermon that he was uh, talking with a middle-aged man who'd had some advice from a pastor when he was young that was very negative, and that he'd carried that burden with him. 
And if you're hearing negative voices, it's not from God. If you're hearing your dad say, you know, kid, you're just not smart enough to do that. You're not a good enough athlete to try that. Or a teacher or a mate. Hear those negative voices. That's not from God. And usually it'll be pretty simple. It's not going to be confusing. You may have a door open or a door closed. Circumstances may kind of help guide your way along to follow the shepherd. There may be some pain in your life. There may be a lost loved one or some injuries or some health issues that kind of allow you to refocus. God can speak through those hardships. There may be dreams or visions. If you read about Muslim conversions, it's pretty remarkable that God reaches that group through dreams. Many, many times they'll have dreams that kind of brought Christ into their life. You may have feelings. You may have emotions like, golly, I just feel like that. And I would throw up a word of caution. Feelings can be very misleading. How many of us have known people that have faltered and they said, you know, it just felt right. We have feelings and we shouldn't ignore them, but run them up the flagpole of this. And if it flies in the face of Scripture, it's not from God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. We have a soul. And the God of the universe cares about that. Sheep can do or get into a position called casted. Sheep may feed and it's a warm sunny day and they may wander a bit off and lie down and they're on the hill if they kind of get on the wrong side of the slant or they get into a crevice or they just roll over on their back. They may not be able to get up. That's called a casted sheep. And the shepherd is always counting and watching because if it's a warm day, they say that a sheep could die in a couple of hours. The gases build up in their stomach and it affects their circulation and it can be a critical situation. So the shepherd is always watching. And he's watching you and he's watching me. And if we start to veer off, he's concerned. He will restore our soul if we're available. This psalm is not for people that are not Christian. There may be some here today that have come to meet our Lord and have never accepted Christ as your Savior. The message is clear from the Holy Book that we all have sin in our lives. And that sin separates us. And God came in the form of a man and He lived a perfect life and He died on the cross as a sacrifice for your sins and for mine he was buried and he rose again and God says to become one of my sheep you have to recognize that and if you want to become a Christian if you want to become a sheep in God's flock you have to pray a prayer that goes something like God I know I'm a sinner and I know that Christ died for me and I want to accept that gift and if you believe that in your heart of hearts God says, come and be part of my family. And the results of that will be a change. 
He wants to restore our soul. And then it says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. The Hebrew definition or description of righteousness is straight. He's saying, follow me and I'll put you on a straight path. And then it's interesting, verse 4, you're following Christ and you're on a straight path and you run into a valley. It says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for thou art with me. There's going to be valleys in our life. They're unavoidable. They're unpredictable. They're impartial. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're old, young, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, educated, uneducated. It's going to happen to you. And there's a purpose for valleys. Maybe that you took a shortcut. There needs to be a correction. Maybe you're in a valley because God wants to mature you. But I would challenge you, if you're in a valley this morning, or when you get into the valley, to try not to look at your circumstances, but look at Christ. And when you do that, often things become a little bit more clear, a little bit more in focus. You can hear God's voice maybe a little bit better. It's so interesting that once David got into the valley, he stopped talking about God, and he started talking to God. It wasn't, the Lord is my shepherd. It's, hey, you are with me. I'd challenge us, myself as well, when you're in a valley, ask yourself, have I been in the Word? Have I been praying? What's my character been like lately? Has it been one of high integrity and excellence? What about my commitments? Have I honored them to myself, to my family, to my work, my friends? Are there things that need to change? What about my mood or my motives? Why am I doing things? Psalms 139 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. What about my actions? When we're in the valley, God can speak to us. The valley isn't supposed to be permanent. It's not a boxed-in canyon. It's a valley, and he says you can walk through it. You don't have to run. You don't have to serpentine. As long as Christ is the center. When you're piloting an airplane and you're up high and the air is smooth and you can see forever, it's exhilarating. And then you fly into a cloud bank and you can't see your nose in front of your face and you've got a choice. You can rely on your feelings and emotions and your prior experience, or you can rely on your instruments. If you've looked in a cockpit, there's a whole bunch of instruments. 
Many tell you how your engine's performing. Some tell you how much fuel you got. There's quite a few instruments to tell you where you are navigating. There's backups to backups to backups. But there's three instruments you got to pay attention to. There's an altimeter that tells you what your altitude is. And there's a gauge over here that tells you your speed, how fast your plane's going. But the one you really need to focus on is the attitude indicator that's right in front of you. And it has an airplane with wings, and it sits right there. And your equilibrium will play tricks on you. And you'll swear you're turning to the right. And you look at the instrument, and it says, no, your wings are level. Or you'll feel like, man, this is, I know I'm level. And you look, and you're in a pretty severe bank to the left. And if you don't look at your instrument and fly by that attitude indicator, in less than three minutes you'll crash. Christ is right there as we're going through the valley. If I start to rely on what I sense is right, disaster is coming. Says thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The rod for a uh, shepherd is like a baseball bat. It's always on his side, and it's a club that he uses to protect his flock. David said he'd kill lions and bears. He uses it to correct his flock. He may tap the sheep and say, uh, and he inspects the sheep when they come in at night. It says he takes his rod and he runs it back and forth over the wool to inspect the sheep to make sure they're healthy. And the staff is that longer thing with a circular thing. You see little Bo Peep have that. And that's a more friendly uh, tool. Shepherd will tap the sheep and kind of direct them in a way. And it's an encouragement. Shepherd says sometimes he just lay the, the staff on the back of a sheep. It was like making a connection. He said it was almost like walking hand in hand with your girl or your boyfriend. It was a connector. It says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And then he says, I prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows. So as the shepherd brings the sheep off the highland, anticipating winter, it's coming down. At the end of the day, he'd find kind of a flat place called a table. He'd make sure that there was enough food or to graze there and that the water was clean. And the predators were following. So he's preparing this place for the sheep for the night, well aware that there's problems. And the water, excuse me, the water typically is in a cistern as he comes down. And so he'd find a place close that he could kind of carve out a little depression. And he'd dip the water out of the cistern and he'd pour it in this. And this little area here is called a cup. And the sheep would all gather around to drink. And he couldn't really see the cup very well, so he'd just dip, pour it in. Dip and pour it in. And he really didn't know how the cup was until he felt the water on his feet. And then he knew the cup overflowed. And he'd put some oil on the face of the sheep to keep the flies and the gnats off of them. He prepared a table. 
He anointed them. And then it says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That goodness and mercy and loving kindness, if you look at the Hebrew word, that word is hesed. That means a position, a higher position makes a covenant with someone in a lower position. That's a covenant vow that cannot be broken. The shepherd has promised us he will never leave us. What's your anxiety at this morning? The shepherd says, yeah, I've taken care of it. I've taken care of the past with grace. I'm taking care of the present right now. I'm taking care of the future with glorification to coming. What's your anxiety this morning? Rest in the shepherd. Follow the shepherd. Clyde Beatty was known as one of the world's greatest lion tamers in the early 1900s. When he came on the scene, he introduced a whip and a chair. Now, I'm sure you've seen movies or you look back and you see that now that you think about it. And he'd crack the whip. And everybody say, oh, that's what really scares the lions. Well, what they saw is when he took the chair out and he shook it at the lions, they seemed to freeze. And they thought it was the four legs of the chair that distracted the lion. The shepherd says, come, follow me. What is it that's distracting us this morning? We're looking at the chair and we hear his voice, but we get distracted. Is it our pride? Is it our ego? Is it our intelligence? I don't need that. I know world philosophy. There's a lot of different ways. I, it's a crutch. I'm not a part of that. Are you angry with God this morning? Did he not show up sometime in the past? Did you blame him for that? You fill in the blanks. Is it your finances? Do you don't have enough time? Is it work? Is it relationships? Jesus says, follow me. You're in the valley of the shadow. What creates a shadow? Well, I've got a shadow there. There's a light behind me. Christ is saying, follow me. Turn to the light. I am the light of the world. We hear today so often a prosperity gospel. Come to Jesus and your problems will be solved. You're in a whole lot better place spiritually. I don't want to deny that. But you are still going to have problems. There are valleys that are coming. Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation. One of the greatest words that follow that is, he says, but don't worry, I have overcome the world. There'll be a day when my heart skips some beats and my vision begins to fail. 
and I take my last breath. And my shepherd is going to pick me up and he's going to take me into the presence of God. We read that and we think, you know, that'll be nice. That'll be a nice day. The presence of God, the pre-existent one, the king of kings, my shepherd, will take me there. The, the Lord, the Lord is my, the Lord is my shepherd. That's all you need to know. Amen.